Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Greetings, friends. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hello yourself. What's everybody drinking? Oh, wouldn't you know it? Just a good old staple key lime LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am drinking LaCroix as well, but I grabbed a limoncello, which is not as good as key lime, but it is a good LaCroix. Second best, in my opinion, is limoncello. Yeah, it's really good. Excellent. First is key lime, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Emily, yourself? I have a black cherry bubbly sparkling water, as well as a mug of hot chocolate, because I'm going to be getting ready to brace myself to go out into the wind and into my car, so I wanted to be warm. There you go. That'll do it. Ooh. Okay, well, I don't really have a good segue for this, but uh, for my topic this week, I've just had this mulling around in my brain, should you have a defense for your disbelief? Oh, that's fun. Mm. It's like the the antithesis of you should defend your faith. Yes. Have an answer for all the, yeah, for the, what's that verse? Come on. It's First uh, Peter 3, uh, 17? Question mark? Is that right? I feel like that's right. We're just going to find out. Have a defense. 315. I got it. 315. First Peter 315. I was so close. Yeah, you You were were. very close, young Padawan. I was impressed. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like it's like kind of inspired by that and just like based off of some of the conversations we've had recently on here and also just like mulling it over in general. It's just been like top of my mind. Should you have a defense for your disbelief? Initial thoughts, go. Uh, Initial thought, that question is very dependent on who it's directed for. So like in my mind, are you asking the person who should or should not defend their disbelief? I think their answer would be, why why should I? Um, But I think if you're asking outsiders, their answer would be yes. They would say yes, and here's why. So I think it depends on who you're asking that question to. Okay, so you're saying like some people would demand a defense because mm-hmm. the answer, like, I don't know, I just don't, isn't yeah. satisfactory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I think it's really tempting to feel like you need a defense. I feel so calm about this question right now. I don't know. <laughs> um, no. Why? Why, Steven? No, you don't need a defense. And I don't have, I can't even defend that. I just, uh, to a certain degree, <laughs> I just, I, I question the need to satisfy someone else's discomfort with my life or like to satisfy their need to know what's up with me. Oh, what if it's not, what if it's not for them? It feels so close to like mind your own damn business is what I'm saying. 
what if but this is a real question what if you're not justifying it for others what if you're justifying it for yourself i think that there's a tendency in atheist and agnostic circles to sometimes build up a case against beliefs like in an apologetic way and while i don't think that that's yeah wrong necessarily to like investigate the reason behind because like i think that a belief is also a disbelief like one of my former pastors used to say every belief disinvites somebody from the party and i think that is more or less kind of true in a lot of ways like every thesis is also an antithesis right so while i don't think it's wrong to like investigate the reasons for why you do or do not believe something i think that the burden of proof often gets stacked wrongly i like Mm -hmm. i see the logic in creating an apologetic for belief right and like showing like no that this can be logical um like it's built on like these ideas or evidences or this like syllogism of logic but like in my opinion you do not need a defense for not believing something because you should need a defense for believing something but that but i don't know but then if you like put <laughs> but then if you like just say what i just said like moments ago like every disbelief is also a belief so like like how far do you take that it takes just a your one reframe away from once again <laughs> demanding a defense almost because yes I, what i feel you saying josh is that you would rather everyone be led to a place where they need to positively defend something rather than negatively defend something like make an argument for the thing that you believe in. You're saying the burden of proof lies on that person who wants to make the case for it rather than all this negative space of like, why should it be on me to argue you out of it almost or Am I framing that correctly? Yeah, like I guess I I'm said like also thinking what? I feel like I said that bad. No, no, I I, <laughs> I think you're saying it right. Like a bad talk. I think that if your belief slash disbelief is about absence, yeah, right. It's hard to prove absence. I think that in terms of the theological, it's also tricky. Like I think that these days, as much as like I enjoy doing this project and talking about things in a very like roundtable dialogue way i think that i also feel free to not be apologetic about the beliefs i have now like if i don't believe certain things but i also think that part of that is like like going back to our episode on boundaries i think sometimes that's me like picking and choosing my battles too Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a little bit of that in there as well what are you this is for all of us what is a disbelief that you have or had that maybe you are or had to justify? Wow. Good question. I used to disbelieve evolution and it was framed for me in that way that like you should disbelieve mm. evolution. And I think that a lot of that ideology is rooted in distrust, both in people and in method and in distrust of motivation of both of those. But also a a wildly outsized trust in the Bible. Yeah. And I think that that's a good example of like the disbelief in A is often leading you to believe in B. Yeah. It's hard to do one without the other. 
in most circumstances, I think. Like, I think that, like, for instance, I was just thinking about, like, uh, I was trying to think of a Methodist example, and, like, <laughs> the Methodists don't believe in closed table communion, but they do believe in open table communion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think that it's almost always a pairing of belief and disbelief mm-hmm. dialectically. So, my example... Of course, I went straight to thinking like where my entire like Ravel journey started was uh, questioning like an infernalist uh, position on hell and its existence. And uh, right there, you're already set up with quite a few things you do believe to get you to a place of like there is an afterlife and one of the destinations is hell. Mm, Right. Yeah. And in my case, like when I started questioning, uh, like the infernalist, like eternal conscious torment model, I came to a place of maybe like conditional immortality or annihilationism and then landed in what I still describe as like my current position of like a universalism take, but that's still very like wrapped in still a Christian model of things. Um, because I feel like There is a desire in me to not disbelieve in the reality of heaven while still giving me permission to disbelieve in the reality of hell. Oh, okay. And that's what universalism gives me. Okay. Do you think that every disbelief requires you to believe in something else? Hmm. No. Okay. What's your example? This might be a stretch, but we'll see. Um, I think for me... The idea of what a sin is, I no longer believe sin to be this very, you know, lack of law abiding where it's very rigid. You know, I have tattoos, therefore I've sinned. Oh, like a moralist or a legalist argument? Moralistic approach. Yeah. Yeah, I no longer see that. And like now I, I don't know necessarily how cut and dry I would define sin like I'm I'm still working that out for myself and so I haven't necessarily filled that gap I guess you would call it a gap in my belief binder uh <laughs> like it's it's just there it, there's something there and if I ever come to a belief about it great if not great like <laughs> I can mm. go about my day and be fine you know what do you think Stephen? I'm not sure. I don't know. I think in some ways, yes. Okay. I think that if you don't believe something anymore, or you just like don't believe something still, I think that it means you believe in something else, Mm. even if it's just like the opposite of that belief. But what if it's not the opposite? No, well, that's what I mean is like, I think there can be like many things, but like, even if it's just the opposite. Mm. So then do you have to justify? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the bigger question is like, I don't know. Maybe that's like also wrapped up in the question of like, do you need to justify your beliefs mm-hmm. or like what justification is needed? Uh, the image that's coming to mind, Josh, is like you have like a power cable and you have to plug in somewhere, right? You can't just unplug and then expect to operate normally. Like you got to plug into a belief somewhere else. Um, uh, mm, does that mm, sound fair? Mm, mm, well, unless it's overheated. You got to let it breathe. You got to let it cool off. So I think having some time for it to not be plugged in is also okay. Even if eventually you are going to plug it into something else. Mm. I have been thinking 
of what faith means. Cause I think it's interesting that when we get into the, the weeds of some of these like semantic discussions, belief and faith feel like different things. Would you two agree? I agree. And it almost feels like, like the way I want to say it is like, there are the beliefs that you could plug into. And if you choose not to, the stuff in between is the faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like there's a, I feel like there's almost like a comfortability in it. So like even, even back to my example of like hell, afterlife, heaven, a desire for all of that within universalism. I feel like my position on that is so faithful where I don't feel like defending it anymore. Like Josh has gotten himself and I on Twitter into some (laughs) universalism takes and uh, some reply guys getting after us and God bless him for it. He takes most of the brunt of like replying to that. And I just kind of like lurk to be honest because I don't, I mean, it's one thing to try and have that conversation on Twitter. Right. But even in person, like when the idea of universalism comes up, I just, I know there are people in my life who feel like I'm just taking the lazy approach to it. But when it comes up, I just have a secure feeling of like, you know, I don't have the perfect arguments for it and I don't really want to spend my energy on it. And to be honest, I just have the faith that that is how it is. And if it's not, then will I even know? I'm not sure. And the, the like the, I'm not sureness with kind of like a secure faith in it is maybe what we're talking about. Like, no, I don't need to defend my disbelief in eternal conscious torment or even a God who would annihilate someone out of his presence because his holiness outweighs his loveliness. Right. Hmm. I just feel good not having the fight anymore and just say like, yeah, this is where I'm at. I hope it's that way. I really want it to be that way. I can appreciate that. And of course, by laying it out that way, I've done the same thing to Josh's question for the entire episode. (laughs) 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 Well, Steven's done. (laughs) You guys got this? Okay, bye. Oh, yeah. You can go home. Yeah, yeah. Cool, Mm -hmm. cool, cool, cool. What's funny about this very question is how it can create a space of feeling very invited and welcomed to have room for disbelief or very alone and very isolated Mm. where let's say you know for example steven grappling with hell it could have ended where he was pushed out and excommunicated and had no sense of community or support to continue raveling out this topic or like what happened here, right? We created a space where we're like, you know what? We are all grappling with things like this. Let's talk about it. Let's encourage others to talk about it. Let's create a community that's based about talking at it. It just, it's so sad to me that I don't really see anything in between. And the degree in which people may feel isolated or excommunicated or belittled for their disbelief and justifying that belief or disbelief, that can vary in degree, but I still think it happens. And there really isn't a nice way of putting it. So my hope is that if people are facing 
a situation where they no longer believe something and are being pushed to either justify it or to maybe revert back to a belief that they don't become isolated and belittled for it. I hope they can find a community in a sense of belonging with people in similar situations or who are thinking alike because great minds think alike and that's not a bad thing per se. Like it, it can be helpful to see, hey, you struggle with this too? Wow, awesome. I'm not alone. I think that my part of my hesitancy that comes with the opinion that a defense is needed for disbelief is that I think that it paints belief and disbelief as very rigid and discourages exploration. And I think that it it still errs on the side of like, you can have it all figured out. Like you can have correct belief and disbelief as a human and it's cut and dry. And I, I get the, I I understand the uh, like the kind of like substitution of belief. Like, oh, I don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement anymore. I believe in Christus Victor. Like, and just like knowing that there's other options out there. Mm-hmm. I think that that can be really good and healthy. But I think that apologetics of any kind run the risk of like oversimplifying, overgeneralizing, and like pinning you in a corner that you don't necessarily want to be pinned into even if you know that you don't believe a certain thing anymore or you do believe a certain thing now i think that you like you can ask questions of yourself and like you can um man yeah how do i want to put this i guess like you can interrogate your motivation or your reasoning in like a deeper way than just like well i believe x because of abc Hmm. yeah like i think it's often not that simple well and i think a lot of it i think when you find that there's like an animating drive into a belief that's rooted in desires or just like it, just being honest about like, hmm, I don't know how to say it without just giving you the example. I literally hope to God with faith that there is something like an afterlife that we are all beckoned into in the end because I have had people in my life pass away that I want to see again. And I have had miscarriages Mm. with my wife Mm. and I want to meet those people that Mm. we were blessed with, with a very short pregnancies, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Like belief as hope. I I think that's beautiful. Hey friends, we interrupt your regularly scheduled mid roll to play a voicemail from our friend Nathan, who sent us a message asking us a clarifying question on our episode about boundaries. That was episode 130, Know Your Limits. You guys remember the one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like that was, last week, right? That was a good one. Let's play the message. Hi, this is Nathan Mole. I'm calling. I just listened to your episode about boundaries. I'm currently going through some of my own life and understanding that I never have really established uh, boundaries or good boundaries with anyone or anything in my life. And also going through some mental health and some psychiatric health through the meadows and stuff like that out where I live. Uh, Just understanding that my family had also some very distorted boundaries 
and there's a difference between good boundaries, distorted boundaries, and also healthy boundaries. Uh, just would like to have more clarification understanding about those, how those relate with not just family, but also friends and work. How does that relate, and how do you maintain those with what your life Because I'm still kind of trying to figure that out myself. All right. Thank you. Bye. Ooh, I love that. How do you, how would you clarify how those relate to other people, family, not just family? And how do you maintain those yourself? That's the part of the question I like Mm -hmm. is like, what does it actually look like to maintain the boundaries you want to set? Because it's one thing to set them. I think that was most of what our entire episode was about. But then enforcing them and maintaining them is a different thing. What do you guys think? I think for me, understanding that I have to be involved in setting the boundary to begin with. I may not have to be entirely in control of the boundary. So for example, as a pastor, I have boundaries that are already established through our book of discipline. It's basically our rule book, our law abiding book, right? And it sets up boundaries as far as my weekends, right? My days for vacation, sick leave, blah, blah, blah. However, I have the control and the authority to say what that looks like. So my book of discipline says I have four weeks of vacation. Doesn't say I have to take it in a row. Doesn't say, you know, that they can't go over into the next year or anything like that. It's I can determine what the that vacation time looks like. So when I set a boundary for myself, I am first telling myself that boundary. Because if I don't tell myself that I'm not going to want to follow it. I'm not going to be intentional about it. If it's just for other people's sake, just to make other people happy, but I don't really follow in line with that, it's not going to be easy to maintain because I'm just pleasing other people. Boundaries are not supposed to be pleasing to other people. It's for safety. It's for protection. And it's also for well-being. And if you don't agree with it, then you don't need to agree with it. That would be a start for me. Josh? Nathan, I love that you volunteered the information that you are seeking help in psychiatric methods. And I just want to say props to that. I think that there is no over-destigmatizing psychiatric care. So Preach. just want to mention that to you. Yes. Um, I, I may not be the best person to answer this question because uh, as we mentioned on the episode, I'm a classic conflict avoidant Enneagram 9 and a lot of my boundary setting looks very passive. But you made me think of two things. I think that your question actually highlights really well how to keep boundaries in that a good... Sometimes I think like giving reasons for boundaries is like perfectly great. Like I just messaged my boss today saying that like this potential work trip that I might go on, I just realized this last week might not work out because I need to... I already committed to a weekend event previously. And like in my experience giving a little bit of an explainer to like why I can't do something just makes you look more human because like we are human. And like, I think sometimes boundary setting gets talked about on the internet as like, just say you can't do something. But I think personally that feels really cold and like, not that you have to reveal everything to everyone. Like you get to decide what's private and what's not. Mm -hmm. But I think the clarification is helpful for people to see. Or like I was, I was also reminded this last week, I saw someone posting like a like a text meme about like 
friends who don't text you back for a week. And somebody in the comments was pointing out, well, like, actually, that's like a very new possibility. Like, it used to be normal even 10-ish years ago that, like, if you weren't out and about, you didn't see that person or talk to them again until you saw them out and about again. And the fact that you can text people same day and get a response within hours is a very new technology. Mm. And I think that if you have a friend, for instance, who wants to text you all the time and then you eventually have time to text them back, I think it can be very caring to say, hey, I'm so sorry. I saw your text. I wanted to make sure I responded when I had time to actually respond. So sorry I've been busy. I think that that's boundary setting. I think that that's, that's a soft way to enforce boundaries. And I think that it can be very human and not as like hard cutting as people often make it seem. Yeah, correct. I agree. Yeah, I Emily in the full episode said that we should never apologize for our boundaries because that already is signaling that you feel guilty about it. I'm fine with apologizing. That's been well, <laughs> fine. You can have that, but I I really like the empowering nature of that idea of like no, this is for me actually. To that point, I think sometimes the parties with which you are setting boundaries might not even need to know that you set the boundary like for me you can make one decision and set it and then just automate it so literally the do not disturb feature of my phone that pops up at 8 p.m every night is a boundary that i set that i don't need to set auto replies and be like i'm sorry i won't see your text until the morning because i set a boundary for my time or whatever but i know that around eight i need to stop responding to stuff i need to like wind down for bed in a mindful way because that aids my evening routine and a good night of sleep. So like the boundary I set on my time and my attention is something I set. Almost no one is aware of it. And I know it's there for me and I find it life giving. What a great clarifying question, though, Nathan. Cool. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Nathan, thank you so much for the voicemail. We want to do a lot more of this, too. So everyone follow Nathan's lead. And as you listen to our podcast, Give us calls like these. We love them. We'd love to stitch these into a extended mid-roll here or two. The number is 60155-RAVEL. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, Don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. What that does, unfortunately, uh, to a lot of people who want to make the logic argument based on 
quotes of scripture that we hold in our hands now versus like what I've done to them is like, well, I've, I've given some the ammunition, like, well, you can't just base all your beliefs on like your feelings, right? Like there has to be something outside of you that you're basing those on. Uh, to which I say, no, I don't even believe that anymore. So invalid argument, <laughs> I guess. But also like I've, I've almost invalidated anything that they would try to bring back on me. And I know that's frustrating and I know that doesn't seem fair. And I don't know that it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like that, that is where I'm at because I have a desire to meet those people again. Well, and I think that's why I first brought up the who is it for, right? In that instance, so what if they don't get the answer that they're wanting? That's not for them. It's for you. This hope of wanting to see them again is for your benefit, for your well-being, for your mm-hmm. for your life, not for theirs. So mm-hmm. at some point, yeah, their feelings about the answer they should or should not have gotten is kind of besides the point. And that does sound hurtful. It does seem frustrating, but uh-huh. such is life. <laughs> and the best argument I have for that is, I guess, to lean back on something like a, a, an approach like this, like a universalist idea, to me seems most in line with a God that I can imagine being the most loving like if there is a God of love, it seems like that would be the way it would be done. Well, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get at with like the idea that belief expands. And like, I think that those of us who have experienced belief shift, like knows what that feels like in the way that like belief and disbelief often like intertwine and lead to something new. And sometimes we like don't know where that's leading yet. And I feel like that's what I think that's like also where my hesitancy is with trying to justify my disbelief. Cause I think that like, even though there are often reasons, I think that those, that disbelief like will also morph over time too. Mm-hmm. And like, or like include other things or like sometimes you'll like disbelieve something for a while and then come back to it. I don't know. Like it, like there's just like ever changing sand, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Josh, you shouldn't build on a foundation of sand. <laughs> <laughs> got his ass (laughs) got him (laughs) take that josh what's your rebuttal no (laughs) justify yourself (laughs) see that's the thing is like i i feel like i can justify myself or like give an apologetic per se to the right person but like if all someone wants to do is like attack my position like not in good faith instead of yeah have a conversation about it i feel like i'm so much less likely to want to do that let alone be able to do it you know yeah who um maybe this isn't a fair question but i would say who who are the people that you can go to and share with because i i think that is an important thing there 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 are many people in my church (laughs) whom i love but i would not necessarily dive deep into you know sharing or justifying reasons for why I do the things I do or believe the things I believe. But there are definitely those that I would gladly sit down over a cup of coffee, have a beer, a glass of wine, go out to eat and just let it all out because I would trust them 
um, do you have um, those people? Is it too broad to just say friends? Like what? Like like <sighs> like I feel like that's what friendship is. Like true friendship, not like yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just like friendship over common belief. Right. Like I right. think that that's what friendship is getting at deeper. Is like mm-hmm. friends who can disagree with each other and like you're not on the same page about everything but that like despite that you are friends what about significant others oh absolutely yeah i mean i would hope like i know like i feel like i have not gone through a major belief shift while being in my relationship but like in a way i feel kind of privileged in that like i haven't like married someone and then like gone through a major belief shift of like whoa i'm i'm with someone who like we're like it was already a part of our relationship that like we Mm -hmm. can like talk about our doubts and our faith and there's already that like mutual wow respect for that wow and so that like that feels pretty awesome you know yeah and like i would hope too that like that would only continue to grow like as a part of a a deep intimate relationship steven totally you were wowing yeah no it happens i mean i made dixie so afraid when I told her that I didn't think Noah and the global flood was real. (laughs) Like she and I have been through a lot of belief shift together. And very often I'm the one leading and unfortunately kind of like dragging her through it. (laughs) (laughs) But goodness, we've made it through and I think our relationship is better than ever because of it. Like we've learned that, it's so much more than just like the beliefs that we were raised to think that uh, an entire marriage was supposed to be built on, you know, like at this point uh, she would say that she is deconverted. She's not a Christian anymore. And in that case, like she is, she is led, (laughs) she is led. She got out ahead of me on that one uh, because I'm still holding on to that. But that has caused zero animosity between us and what flourishing happens in our relationship i don't even want to say it happens despite the difference in our beliefs i want to say that that flourishing happens because of the difference of our belief and we have such a wonderful foundation now of like truly mutual trust in each other and it's Mm. not outsourced to the perfect ideal white guy, blue eyes, blonde hair, Jesus Christ. That's supposed to be in this heavenly marriage threesome with us, you know, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I wanted to get really deep and then pull it out really fast with a joke. Did it work? Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so lucky. I wasn't taking a sip of my beverage. <laughs> yeah. But, but like that, that was the that way is very true. That was the way marriage was taught to me was like, if it's not based on Jesus Christ, if you're unequally yoked, then everything will fall apart. You're going to end up divorced. You're going to end up with a family system where you're not leading your kids in the way they should go. Right. As the proverb says, and you will be causing it, it, it really always came down to you will be causing someone eternal suffering if you don't do it this right way. And I just don't believe that anymore. I'm so mm. outside of that Over now. Over it. If mm-hmm. I can make a plug, by the way, you guys, I, uh, it is out by now for sure. Uh, the second episode of a podcast that I get to edit for, which is still kind of, still feels like a dream come true. I got to 
help put out this episode of Faith for Normal People by the same people who do Bible for Normal People, where they interviewed Rhett and Jesse McLaughlin of like Rhett and Link, Rhett and his wife. And that episode, that interview is such a perfect example of like what it looks like for a couple who starts in one place in belief and migrates to a Mm. different place and adopts new disbeliefs, adopts some beliefs and they're working together. Goodness. I like it's, it's even hard to explain. It's just, it's wonderful. So I would love to link to that because, um, link to that. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah. That was one of those. I was just like, I can't believe that I get to help put this out because it's so important i think because yeah that was part of my story like i made dixie cry when i told her i don't think noah was a real person let alone adam and eve but like i was like uh, i don't think noah happened the way that ken ham says it did <laughs> and that was a big moment for us emily what about you do you feel like the circle extends far much beyond like friends and partners in terms of talking about belief and disbelief I feel like that's like pretty broad. Like that's that's pretty broad because we're yeah. friends, right? We're doing it. Yeah, Are we exactly. Friends? I feel like we're more than friends. Oh, yeah, we're podcast like, hosts. Yeah, we're, we're f- we are a podcast family. Business partners. <laughs> business partners. That's Technic- way better than friendship. Technically, the truth. <laughs> yeah, technically the truth. Technically. I think that I keep thinking about like the the parallel between doubts and disbelief i guess i would venture to say that they're pretty close together unless someone wanted to define disbelief as a full like belief in something else but i guess for me that they're just like so intertwined and i i think that maybe that's why i don't see the necessity or the pressure to like justify because i think that doubts are often like they start small and I don't think that a doubt itself needs justification. Like you can doubt something and you might not know the reason for why you doubt it yet. Like that might reveal itself later, you Mm. know? How annoying do you think listening to this episode has been for people who disagree with us? (laughs) Oh, I doubt they've made it this far. Yeah, actually that's fair. I, I, I I can't prove that. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) But I doubt they made it this far. Yeah. (laughs) And if you did, Thank you. Because I I really do understand. I mean, I used to be there. Like, I really do understand the frustration that comes when people talk like this. What, in circles? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Is it? I mean, did you you envision this conversation going any differently, Josh? Like, (laughs) no, of course not. This feels like one of those ones that is circular by nature. I, yeah. And maybe there's a reason for that, though, because it's not so cut and dry like we want it to be, but it's still a conversation worth having. And I think the idea of reinforcing it's okay to have disbelief or to move away from a belief and have it just be Hmm. because I don't think we're told I don't think we tell people that enough. I'm not saying we, us three, like we definitely tell people that all the time. I think churches and Christian organizations and society is not good about telling people it's okay to not believe, (laughs) to walk away, to believe in something else, because that means there's change 
that means there's uncertainty and we are not comfortable with that. I think that that's the other like aspect of disbelief too, is I think a lot of disbelief is couched in uncertainty. Like I think that that's like the gray area of doubt and disbelief. And like, if you're just uncertain about something, <laughs> like you can't, you can't really justify that in a lot of ways. I think like if you're like on the fence or if you're in discernment or like whatever language you want to put around it, I think that like, that's why it gets so complicated. And I think that that's why a lot of people feel discouraged to lean into that too. I don't know. Steven, I feel you on the talking in circles thing. (laughs) 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 Like, I think that that's also what makes conversations about doubt and disbelief hard is it often seems like you're doing some circular reasoning or it also seems contradictory because like, do you treat belief and disbelief differently? Should you, or like, are they the same thing and you should treat them the same? Hmm. Yeah. And then you struggle with examples. So you bring out, or you struggle with definitions. So you bring out examples and then the examples lead you back to the same questions. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Hmm. I think the only way to do it though is in dialogue in community though. Like yeah, I completely agree. It's debilitating and lonely work sometimes even trying to do it with other people, but to do it just completely alone. Ugh, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And even if even if all <laughs> if the question that you started this episode, if the only thing it does, if the only fruit it bears is that now you've discovered a community that you can do the same thing with, like I think that's worth it. Even if it doesn't lead you to a defense of your disbelief or your belief. Like if you find yourself in a, a community now, where you're comfortable asking that those questions, like I think that's what we should emphasize. Mm. You know what's funny about that, Stephen? What I've heard of a community that does that. Um, it's called the Discord on Ravel. Wow, nice plug. <laughs> well done. No, honestly, yeah, that happens on a daily basis now. In the daily, and yes, and with the advent of our like book club this year and the Ravel Collective that Courtney's leading, cool things are happening in there. I love it. And there's no pressure. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I think that's what people are afraid of. Yes. Huh. I think people <laughs> are afraid of the no pressure discussion around beliefs and disbeliefs. Yeah. And so there becomes that pressure to justify and yeah. create reasons. Yeah. And often I think that ends up creating a lot of reading into the text mm-hmm. that isn't there mm-hmm. on either side. I think that happens for many things. See also yeah. our eisegesis episode that was a great episode if i do say so myself wasn't it i loved that it. was a it very was. enjoyable one i it was uh i feel like at the end here i want to put out the invitation to people who are still listening good lord thank you for still listening because this one has been infuriating for us i'm sure yes. you know like the circular nature of it can be infuriating and i'm sure we're missing things and we didn't say some things I want to put out a specific call to leave us a voicemail or voice memo through the email. Cause I think this is one that I'd, I'd be especially interested in people leaving their thoughts and that we could maybe revisit on kind of like a mailbag type episode soon again. Cause I, I like I'm so, I'm so sure that we're missing things in our perspectives right now. And I'd be really curious to know, 
you know, like, okay, if you're the person who's still listening here at the end of the episode and you had at least one moment of like screaming in your car, like, no, you, (laughs) why are you talking about this X, Y, or Z? Like you're the person who should call or leave us a voicemail. Cause I like, I want to hear from you. I want to explore this with more voices, with more opinions again, because that's how we do it. We do it in community and we explore together. So yeah uh, leave us a voice memo or give us a call uh 60155ravel that's 60155572835 all that will be in the show notes as well yeah that's my specific call to action there as it were that was mm, nice i don't even have a i how do i top that what how do i i, I know you're in disbelief it's okay <laughs> bye i guess <laughs> what bye bye